if the Lord was to give us everything in all of the creation but withhold himself he would be infinitely hateful to us this isn't me by the way and it's not John Piper and it's not even Jonathan Edwards it's it's really Augustine If the Lord was to give us everything in all of creation and withhold Himself from us, He would be infinitely hateful to us. But if He withheld everything in the creation from us, even the air in your lungs, and gave Himself to you, He would be infinitely loving to you. Such is the value of a holy God. We do not need the creation. We need the uncreated Therefore, in the consummation of the age, the worship of the Lamb is not only central, it is paramount to the purpose of what is occurring. In Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 22, describing the descent of the New Jerusalem the revelator says, I saw no temple in this city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light the nations walk. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. And they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Here you have a kingdom that from the standpoint that we're at today has been testified to through temple worship now for, oh, if we just run the rough numbers, about 3,500 years, well, tabernacle worship, 3,500 years. And this is a bare minimum of 1,007 years from now. Maybe more. And in the consummation of this kingdom who has been testified to by a temple from its very beginning, there is no temple. The Old Testament, the temple and the tabernacle were focused on the mercy seat that, said, that sat atop of the Ark of the Covenant. In Exodus chapter 25, and I've mentioned this a couple times before, and I'm going to mention it again tonight. We've got a set of youth right now that is fascinated with the, with the propitiatory details of, of temple worship. And I think that should be encouraged. Because it is the picture of the way that Christ is saving His people. In Exodus chapter 25, it says this, You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, 
and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you, and there I will meet with you. I feel guilty sometimes because Scripture makes these profound statements, and if I'm not careful, I'll, I'll, I'll read past them. And so here's one. Let's not read past it. There I will meet with you. And now this is the same God that when He met with them on the top of the mountain, they all thought they were going to die. But here, here is, 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 is the underlying foundation for what John is going well, what he did already at this point, right about in the Gospel of John, where he said that, that no one can see God, but he who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. The reality is, is that the tabernacle and the temple was a testimony to the covenant that God had with His people, not because it had a golden lampstand and, and a mercy seat that was a really, really fancy copy of the real thing in heaven. What made it so important, the testimony that was there, was the fact that God Himself was there in the midst of His people. As a matter of fact, the word here and we'll do a little bit of Greek tonight, is naos. And the thing that's interesting about that is it is used of the temple, but it is not used of the temple generally in the text. So when you think about Solomon's temple in, you know, in, the, in the Septuagint, in the Greek Old Testament, if you think about Solomon's temple, if you think about the tabernacle, um, later on, if you think about Herod's temple, which was expanded greatly with all of the retaining walls and the plumbing system and all of those sorts of things, so he could make it as big and grand as he wanted it to be, this whole gigantic temple complex, which so much of the politics of the, the modern Near East is still wrapped up around today, it didn't speak of all of that. This particular word spoke specifically of the Holy of Holies. Of the inner sanctum, of the place where God was manifest between the cherubim over the mercy seat. Where He communed in the midst of His people. And as such, this little room that was around it functioned as the division that existed between a, a holy and infinite God and vulgar and finite men. And the one that Solomon built, it was built out of cedar and overlaid with gold. There was a curtain that hung in front of it. That's about as sufficient as using drapery to contain a thermonuclear bomb. It functioned as a physical barrier between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of men. And unsurprisingly, and this is part of the testimony, it proved to be an insufficient barrier. Which is why, in the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 43... 
the Lord speaks to the prophet. In verse 1, he says this. Ezekiel records that then he led me to the gate. And the gate was facing east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the east. And the sound of His coming was like the sound of many waters. And the earth shone with His glory. And the vision I saw was just like the vision that I had seen when He came to destroy the city. And just like the vision that I had seen by the Chebar Canal fell on my face. As the glory of the Lord entered the temple by the gate facing east, the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. There is so much doctrine right there that we would have to be here for a month. While the man was standing beside me, I heard one speaking to me out of the temple. And he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet. Now that's a spooky deal, folks. The place of the soles of my feet. I'm a barefoot guy. My mama was always, she was real strict about it when I was a kid, man. You, you, took, you came in the house, you took your shoes off. There was a parquet floor in the entranceway specifically so that you'd have a place to take your shoes off without getting your carpet dirty. And the place where you walk, just the soles of your feet, is home. Now you may be comfortable enough, I may kick my shoes off at Mark's house, but even that's kind of rare. That's what you do in your own house. And what you see here, because the Father sits on a throne looking like fire encapsulated in crystal is what it says about Him. What's being spoken of here is the Son. This is the place He dwells in the midst of His people. It's not a place He visits. It's not, a, it's not a place of occasion. There is a very real intimacy that is being spoken of here. Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I will dwell, literally tabernacle in the Hebrew. Where I will tabernacle in the midst of the people of Israel forever. And the house of Israel shall no more defile my holy name, neither they nor their kings by their whoring and their dead bodies of their kings at their high places, by setting their threshold by my threshold and their doorpost beside my doorpost with only a wall between me and them. Now if you know the, the record of Ezekiel, what you saw was the Lord leave the temple. For exactly this reason, because he says, this wall between me and you is not enough. You make me wrathfully angry because of your whoring. And if I don't get out of here, this cedar petition is not going to be enough to hold back the raging fire that's on the other side. But I promised you something, so what I'm going to do is leave. Because if I don't, you're dead. And here... 
here in the future temple that he shows Ezekiel what you see is him return and he can return because he has returned in a way that has propitiated their sin mm -hmm. and bought their souls yeah. so that his wrath is satisfied and God can dwell in the midst of men and men can see what they could never previously see. He said, They defiled my holy name by their abominations that they have committed, so I have consumed them in my anger. Now let them put away their whoring and the dead bodies of their kings far from me, and I will dwell in their midst forever. As for you, son of man, describe to the house of Israel the temple that they may be ashamed of their iniquities and they shall measure the plan. And if they are ashamed of all that they have done, make known to them the design of the temple, its arrangement, its exits, its entrances, that is, its whole design, and make known to them as well all its statutes and the whole design and all its laws and write it down in their sight so that they may observe all its laws and all its statutes and carry them out in the law of the temple. This is the law of the temple. The whole territory on top of the mountain all around shall be most holy. Behold, this is the law of the temple. And then Ezekiel does exactly that and he goes on for chapters to describe the way this thing works. And it makes the temple of Solomon and the temple of Herod look paltry by comparison. It is a propitiation factory and it exists all the way through the millennium and it's absent from the New Jerusalem it is such a big deal that for a thousand years in the reign of Jesus Christ over the entirety of the world from the throne in Jerusalem this thing is the centerpiece of everything that is going on and when the new Jerusalem descends, it's gone. There is no temple. There is no tabernacle. Because when reality descends, the shadow disappears. So if, if we wanted to use the scriptural analogy, I think it's a good one to use. We wanted to use the scriptural analogy that all of these things that we're seeing in temple worship out of Hebrews chapter 8, 9, and 10 are a shadow and a copy of the full reality of the heavenly things. Then the nature of a reality descending is the further it descends, the clearer and more precise the shadow becomes right up to the point that it lands. And the moment it lands, the shadow is gone. You cast a shadow, it always stops when you get to the reality that is casting it. And so, I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. 
And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the lamp is the Lamb. After the second coming, the resurrection, the beginning of the millennium, there will be no need of a temple for the saints, but there will be need of a temple for the nations. But after the white throne judgment and the descent of the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no need of a temple for mortal men, for those that have been faithful throughout the millennium, for they will have been made new. As it says in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1-3, through 3, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Which was the whole point of the testimonial temple to begin with. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. God Himself will be with them as their God. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And what you see is a testimony in the temple of old where God would meet with His prophet or His high priest on behalf of the people now being flung wide the curtain torn and God dwelling directly in the midst of His people. It had no sun or moon to shine on it for the Lamb is its lamp. And when you look at this whole testimonial situation that you see in Scripture, it is not a surprise. It was by design that the very first thing that the Lord did in the ordering of this creation as we understand it now was say let there be light it speaks to his nature and here there is not some means by which the light is shining forth not something that he has created to bring forth that thing that is about him but instead it is coming from him directly and what it looks like is Hebrews chapter 2. Now, the author of Hebrews will tell us in chapters 8 and 9 that Christ is our great high priest, but if he was on earth wouldn't be considered a priest because there's earthly priests here of a different order. And the full reality will never belong to the same order as the shadows and copies do. He's a different level. And so on earth, at temple worship, you had the manifest presence of the glory of God in the midst of His people. something that a priest priest barely dared to approach and then only once a year 
But in the New Jerusalem, you have God in the midst of all of His people. In all of His goodness, in all of His glory, freely accessible to them. This is the promise of salvation. And the promise of salvation is, we've said it before, we'll say it again until I'm blue in the face. You know, the promise of salvation is not heaven instead of hell. The promise of salvation is, is not gold streets and pearly gates and see your, you know, Uncle Jim again. The promise of salvation is unfettered access to a holy God. That's what salvation is. Now it comes with all sorts of accoutrements that are attached to it, and those are great. But if He gives you everything in all of creation and denies you Himself, He hates you. And if He gives you Himself, He loves you to the fullest extent of what love can be. And so, in Hebrews chapter 2, Verse 5, you see the most detailed description anywhere in Scripture of what it looks like in the New Jerusalem when Jesus Christ, the Lamb, is both temple and lamp. And what you see is Christ Himself leading worship before the throne of His Father. And the people that he is leading in worship are the adopted sons and daughters of God that he bought with his own blood. And so if you want to see what the payoff looks like, this is it. Verse 5, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere got to love a little sarcasm somewhere yeah yeah david testified to it <laughs> what is a man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him you have made him for a little while lower than the angels you have crowned him with glory and honor putting everything in subjection under his feet now in putting everything in subjection to him he left nothing outside of his control at present, we do not see everything in subjection to Him, but we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of suffering and of death, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. And what's He going to do with that? He's not going to set you on a shelf. What He's going to do is lead you in temple worship. For it was fitting that He, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why He is not ashamed to call them brothers. And he's not ashamed to call them brothers, not in any scenario, but specifically in the scenario of the midst of the congregation of heaven. 
I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children that God has given me. Here is a picture of Jesus Christ standing before the throne of the Father in heaven and going, all of these are mine. Behold them as they worship you. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one that has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. And if that's what he had to do to buy it, then you better believe when the time comes he's going to flaunt it. There was no temple in the city. It needed no sun or moon to shine upon it. For the Lamb is the temple and the Lamb is its lamp. He will ordain the praise of the Father from those He bought with His own blood. And there won't have to be a hammered out mercy seat made in the desert. There won't be a curtain and there won't be a wall of cedar. God will dwell in the midst of His people. He will be theirs and they will be His. Mark, you pray for us.